Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey, welcome to the 322nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Ezekiel Barraza and Mike Slane. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today we have a few fun topics to talk about. We're going to talk about titles, what you call yourself. Are you a filmmaker? Are you a director? Are you nervous or shy to call yourself that? Because maybe you don't make a living doing that yet. We're going to talk all about that. We're also going to talk about setting the tone with actors and how to get them to play the scene in, a, in similar ways to match each other in the scene the way that you're imagining it. And we're also going to catch up. But before that, I want to mention our two patrons, both at the $15 level, Ezekiel and Mike. I sent them their Just Shoot It podcast hats today on the honor system because their payments have not gone through yet. So Ezekiel and Mike, if you're hearing this, thank you for being patrons. You are going to receive your hats soon. And if you are feeling honest, <laughs> then then keep your subscription going at least just through the first month, you know, and then you can cancel it if you want. We've been burned many times before <laughs> where I send the hats out before the patron Patreon month goes through and then, you know, people get free hats. Only the other patrons suffer. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I can't wait to talk about all of the awesome topics that we have lined up some really good stuff, Oren. Yeah. But before we do that, I really need to know. What have you been working on lately? Well, thanks for asking, Matt. I have been working on a few things, but I would say that the highlight of my week since we last recorded mm-hmm. was meeting your Seeing daughter. Yeah. 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 Well, my daughter, she's better. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, if I could have met her without meeting you, that would have been ideal. Same. But... <laughs> yeah. Same. That's what I... But uh, um, it's hard to meet six month olds without their parents. <laughs> yeah mostly on account of their lack of ability to move yeah she's working on it she'll get there eventually yeah we had a listener that had sent me a message on instagram that's like do you ever meet your listeners and i was like uh you know on occasion on occasion not that often to be honest but i said like honestly i haven't even met matt's baby i feel like that needs to happen before i just like go randomly have a coffee with Mm -hmm. some listener Mm -hmm. that's in town not to mention like you know a bazillion friends that i haven't seen in like years let me ask because you you've recovered from covid so you're in that grace period where you're vaxxed and boosted and had covid so the likelihood that you are gonna get it again in the next month let's say pretty darn low yeah even though i think los angeles is kind of in the Hopefully in the peak of a surge, has it changed your behavior? Do you feel footloose and fancy free? I feel like part of my pitch to you to like see you guys was like, hey, we just had COVID. So we're pretty, pretty safe, you know, on the scale of safety. And I'm like definitely pretty lax about the mask now. Like if I went into a hospital or something, you know, something like that, of course I would wear a mask. But if I'm like running into the convenience store, I used to always wear a mask. Even on the plane, I was like, the people around me were wearing masks. So I was like, I'll wear my mask just so that they don't feel uncomfortable. But I told the woman sitting next to me, I was like, hey, just so you know, I just had COVID. And so like, I'm not a danger to you because I was like coughing a little bit. So I just wanted her to know. Did she appreciate it? Yeah. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry you had COVID. So yes, I'm, I'm doing more things and I do want to see more people. And obviously I enjoy meeting our listeners, but I just feel it's like, you know, when you have a stack of like 80 scripts, you have to read for some important reason. And then someone's like, Hey, will you read my script? It's like hard to put it in front of that stack. So anyhow, I met, I met Nora, I met your daughter. We used to see each other every single week, at least once a week. One of these days we're going to get back to in-person episodes and that will be nice. At least live shows. I'm very much hoping that we have a live show 
before you make your feature. So AKA in this, in this calendar year, 2022. That's right. That's right. We got to get on it. Yeah. Uh, I would love for COVID to be over before I start shooting because, um, Oh yeah. Something that one of our, the line item, it's a real line item in your budget. It's significant from a cost perspective. Yes, it's significant. So I was just filming in Nashville last week. I obviously mentioned this to you many times. We lost 10 crew members Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to positive COVID tests including our producer who was never on set. It's interesting doing a whole shoot with a producer that is working from inside their car, but he was awesome. Like every fire was put out before I even knew about it. Nashville Cruiser for real. Did they talk about music videos in front of you? No, I asked them. I have it at like a, in my writer that I'm there. No mm-hmm. one's allowed to talk about music videos if I'm within like 20 feet. But so I guess part of my shoot in Nashville, I guess the interesting thing to our more regular listeners. It was step number one in my 15 year long journey to join mm-hmm. the DGA. Yeah. So yeah. how'd it feel? Pretty good. Except I almost had this step a few months ago. I booked a DGA job and then we ended up not doing it. So with this time I was like, I'm just not going to rely on it until I'm literally on set. Mm-hmm. And especially with COVID is like all these ca- crew members were dropping off. I was like, I was actually so thankful that I had just had it because I felt like I wasn't going to get knocked out of the shoot. And I was just like begging my actors to not get COVID because they were flying from L.A. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they don't have to wear masks. Like, can you Mm -hmm. ask your cast to wear masks on a plane? Is that legal even? (laughs) I don't know. I think you can request. You could suggest it, but you can't. I don't think you can require it. I have no idea. Don't listen to me. Everyone. I mean, it's a problem that did not exist, you know, two years ago. So it's a. Uh, anyway, I think they actually both had had COVID or something before, like yeah. not that long ago. So we were in the clear, but yeah, so I did a DGA job. I had to fill out some paperwork. No one mentioned this to me, but I was just like Googled, you know, how to join the DGA as I do every week and was reminded that you're supposed to have like three letters of recommendation from DGA members. Mm. So if that is a thing that still needs to happen. Which I'm sure like half our listeners that are in the DJ are going to email me and be like, well, actually, they changed the rule last week to be four letters. Or maybe they're like, hey, Oren, I would love to write you a letter of recommendation. Oh, yes. I mean, so many people want to write me a letter of recommendation. Sure. If yeah, you would like to apply yeah. to write me a letter of recommendation, please Venmo me. One dollar. Yeah. If you go to orenrex.org. You can sign up to get on the wait list to screen to whether or not you can be you can endorse Oren for the DGA. So important questions, actually, besides the emotional gratification of doing this DGA job, I'm curious about the differences that you noticed or didn't notice. Right. Because a DGA job does have a certain um, set of minimum requirements in terms of prep and in terms of crew. Right. So, so walk us through, was there anything where you were like, Oh, this is nice. It's kind of nice to have a first and a second who are both DGA, for instance. I mean, I guess like from the, like the wide angle view, there was no real difference. It was a union shoot, you know, a Yahtzee and everything, which I've had many union shoots. The crew was really top notch in the company I work with. We actually had one crew member I really wanted to hire that was not in the union and we had to get the union to give us a waiver to allow us to hire him. They're pretty kind of by the book, but we just had a really great crew. We had, you know, they shot that show Nashville in Nashville, that Connie Britton mm-hmm. show. And we had a lot of people that had worked on that show. So I felt like we had, you know, these really top notch, like kind of TV, you know, mm-hmm. grip, electric hair, makeup, wardrobe, like all those departments were good. You know, everyone had their assistants. I feel like a lot of the non-union stuff I have, it's like we have one person that's doing hair and makeup and also wigs and also some other things. And then our, we have like mm-hmm. one costumer and maybe on the day they have like an mm-hmm. assistant. People are spread a little thin or maybe there's an apprentice who's coming in who doesn't have as much experience as a real assistant. Or like a wardrobe PA. Yeah. So I felt like we had everything, but we, we actually didn't have a camera operator, like our DP operating camera, which Mm-hmm. I thought that might be a union thing or not. I, I don't know. But one interesting thing you and I texted about this was I had pretty horrible flights booked <laughs> to and from Nashville. And apparently part of the DGA contract is that directors mm-hmm. are supposed to be flown, I think, business class. Business class. At a minimum. Better, yeah. And then if they're on yeah. the same flight as anyone else from the production, and that other person is flown in a better class, 
than mm-hmm. the DGA record, the minimum, then you're supposed to be bumped up to be equal. So if you're flying with the actors and they're in first, you're also supposed to be in first. That reminds me of when I would travel with Alan all the time, they would do that. But it was still a really small crew. And so it was like, you know, my DP and like a handful of other people. We were all flying out of Los Angeles together on the same flight. Producers, all those people. And it was a really tight knit group, right? Like everybody was good friends. They did this all the time. I was the the new guy, certainly, but uh, had worked with them pretty regularly over the years. And I kind of came to dread the first class ticket because I would board first and then you'd watch all of your buddies who have been like lugging gear, you know, they've got their media pass with like 16 cases and stuff like just like people who have been like busting their butts walk past you to the cramped seats and they would always uh, give me a real hard time about it. Well, yeah, that sucks. But in my Your crew, yeah. they're, they're all at home. Yeah. You know, I mean, my fun. situation was <laughs> that I had a middle seat by the bathroom in like the second to last row of the plane on Delta. You know, it's not like I was complaining <laughs> about my aisle. I literally like you could not have had a worse seat than what I had. You had literally the worst seat on the plane. Yeah. yeah and yeah. and the producer's like, look, man, it's a really busy time. Everyone just started traveling and you wanted to fly on sunday we can fly you on saturday and then aisle seat but if you want to come mm-hmm. on sunday you got to go on a middle seat or else you can fly on southwest and fight your way <laughs> to an aisle seat i don't mind southwest I, i'm i'm willing to like uh claw my way to the top yeah so the only problem with southwest is you have to board in order which is not a problem but you cannot be late you know <laughs> if you're late then you will miss your spot <laughs> anyway he didn't get me like the priority boarding or whatever so it ended up being fine but i was like i'm not technically in dga yet but am i allowed to complain about this also i've never worked with this person before is he gonna mm-hmm. think i'm a diva mm-hmm. for complaining about my seat but like a middle seat is really is bad like i get kind of queasy if i'm not like on the, i love the aisle i don't even like the window because i just like like to have access to get up and you know use the restroom and all that stuff so Anyhow, but yeah, so I didn't notice like a difference from a DJ standpoint, but we had, mm-hmm. we had a really I mean, su- excellent support crew. staff, yeah. I think is, is, is the, I think where it kind of comes through and maybe it's more just a feature thing, but like there's a certain amount of prep days and, uh, and all of that, that kind of kick in. And I was curious to see if you enjoyed any of that. No. Yeah. The rate is not any better than I'm used to, but part of the expenses are for like health and pension and so fringes yeah there's yes. about 26 percent additional money that they're spending on you just to go into healthcare and all that stuff yeah so i'm really really hoping and awesome. basically if i book two more jobs two more days of shooting this year that are dga days mm-hmm. then i'll get health insurance which is pretty cool and a very weird thing for in america for people that make like decent livings sure. to be like <laughs> worried stressed out about health insurance but yeah, that's insane. like, I guess, the situation we live in here. Anyhow, so that was exciting. And the last kind of cool thing that just happened today, actually, is our scripted podcast that I've talked about on the podcast a lot on our unscripted podcast is moving forward. It's, you know, the the company hey, we're developing with. It's not greenlit yet, but it's they are now very happy with where we have like all our pitch materials and the concept and they're bringing it back to audible who's the company that we approached in the beginning Mm -hmm. so you know there's still some hoops to jump through and who knows what will happen but but we're making forward movement which is cool and you know some of it is like related to your advice which was like you know don't lose the momentum (laughs) yeah sure yeah and i feel like we took that to heart and are trying to push things forward even if it's not everything's perfectly buttoned up yet you know Mm -hmm. good on you man congrats what about you what have you been up to? So similarly, I am shipping off materials this week, but in a different sort of situation than I think this for is the worth feature. talking about. For the for my feature, that's correct, yeah. We're taking it out. We're testing the waters, basically, with a handful of companies. We're not going to heavy hitters just yet. I think it's kind of a tiered approach, basically, to kind of gauge interest and how well is this working and, and kind of testing out the materials. 
I had shown a deck to you and Carlin, mm-hmm. I think off the mic. Like a pitch deck lookbook a type A pitch thing. deck lookbook, yeah, exactly. Which was kind of in pretty good shape, but I think maybe lacked a little focus because it was trying to be too many things to do, too many different people. So that's all good. But, you know, it's funny. I'm in that zone where I'm really, really ready to start writing something new. Not because I love this feature any less, but because I have been dragging my feet on sending it off because I keep tweaking. I'm in that zone of like perfect is the enemy of good, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And and also I'm suffering pretty badly from joke fatigue, right? So I'm constantly like, oh, is this funny anymore? Is that funny anymore? You know, fresh audiences have all really, really responded to things. The other interesting thing actually, and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but for regular listeners, I... I have been workshopping a handful of scenes in theater space, basically, where I bring in a bunch of actors that I love. And there's a handful of directors who are all kind of sitting in and they note the scenes as we put them up on their feet and we try to get them into shape. But because it's in a theater space and this film is very special effects driven, it really narrows down the scenes that make sense to workshop. Right. Because so much of the film is visual and is like, you know, effectively a monster movie. And it's like, and not just a straight up, you know, creature from the Black Lagoon monster, one with like some visual gimmicks that make it kind of tricky to workshop. I've really been in the weeds on just like a lot of scenes that are world building and rule setting, you know? So it's a lot of, it's like, dang, is my movie just people? explaining to the audience the mechanics of this monster and of course not that's you know six pages out of a hundred but they're they're the ones that make sense to to bring into this space so i i think you know as much of an advocate i am of of refining things and only getting one shot at a first impression and all of that you know i'm ready to i'm ready to kind of ship this thing off and see how it goes and, and start writing the next thing. Cool. I was going to ask yeah. you, and I hope I'm not stepping on anyone's unpaid endorsement or anything. You tagged me in a tweet on oh. Twitter from Beck and Woods, the uh, writers of A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. They had made a, a video, like a ripomatic kind of pitch mm-hmm. for A Quiet Place. Orn, when was that tweet tweeted? August 15th, 2019. Why? When did I tag you? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Why did I never notice until like last week? June 4th, 2020. (laughs) I don't know. I was just on Twitter. I was like, oh, don't take it personally if Oren doesn't get back to you on Twitter. (laughs) It's just a long delay. Almost two years later, I responded to your tweet. Not, not to, <laughs> to call you out on that. Wow. So I think this is a thread about how the screenwriters behind A Quiet Place really, because that film is so... And premise-driven and tone-driven. Premise-driven and tone-driven. Yeah. They really broke the format of like uh, the way that one formats a screenplay. You know, there were pages that just have three words on them. They really kind of experiment and play with things, you know, and that... They really, really let a screenplay be whatever the heck they want it to be to convey how the movie is going to sound and feel, which I think is pretty awesome. And also, you know, this is tricky advice. It's a tricky thing to to agree with. There are people, writing professors, low-level executives, etc., who will, in an effort to feel like an authority or to have a decent note to give they'll tell you that that's wrong and this is proof that it isn't but that doesn't mean that you should ignore fundamentals right yeah so that's that's my big caveat is that you got to have the goods in order for that to work right i mean i think like at the end of the day everyone's like just tell the story in the best easiest way Mm -hmm. to understand it and so when you do something distracting in screenplay format if you had all the characters names and all lowercase or proper case or something you know, someone might be like, did this person have writing experience? Because why are they breaking the format? And mm-hmm, what is mm-hmm. what is that serving? But if you have a page where there's three words on it, that's intentional. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're breaking the format for a reason. Um, I actually haven't read the screenplay, but the tweet that you tagged me in two years ago, uh, 
the tweet that was tweeted three years ago was actually their visual lookbook. Uh, oh, interesting. Where they, uh, you know, they took images and they put like interior, you know, house day. And then basically they made this two minute kind of premise trailer for the movie. Mm-hmm. This is before the John Krasinski was attached or anything. And this is how they got the studio to be interested in it. And it really helped them. They had music, they had images, and they had quotes from the screenplay. It's a really interesting tool. It's like, a, you know, we've a lot of us have seen the Ripomatic, like kind of the fake trailer or like mm-hmm. um, shooting a scene from your movie uh, as an example. But this was like a lookbook, but animated in After Effects. I was curious what you thought about making something like that for your movie. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I made a sizzle and... Oh, right. You did. It was helpful for me, which is why I think I advocate to people that they do this. However, I didn't get a ton of great feedback. You know, I got like, oh, this is good. We don't need it. The lookbook does all of the heavy lifting that we need, basically. And it did kind of fall into the traps of, you know having to deal with finding the footage that's right for your movie. Right. Mm-hmm. And so because my film is in many ways, a pastiche of other styles, but also is meant to have a really hard twist on all of that. I think that the sizzle tends to feel really, I, th- I think it evokes a truer sense of the source material than I'm intending. You know what I mean? Like right. if, if, this movie is supposed to be, you know, referencing horror movies, but funny. And all of the footage that I have is from horror movies. People think, oh, it's just not very scary. What I love about this animated lookbook, we'll call it, yeah. is that it's all Photoshop and After Effects, but it's all stills. So the ability to do really cool, evocative work without needing to plus it quite so hard is great yeah they don't yeah. The, the editing doesn't seem so difficult and they also and well if you go to my accounts at smitey pie leg and look at my tweets and replies you'll see me say we should get these guys on just shoot it <laughs> that tweet from beckon woods is the one that we're talking about right now one of the things they have in this video lookbook is the name of the company that they wanted to use to make the aliens with and then images of other aliens from other shows and movies that they've made like you know they made the monsters and stranger things and attack the block and hellboy it shows that not only is the story cool and what the tone is but we have this plan of how to achieve all these things too i don't know why i thought you just tagged me on this tweet you know again these trends change in how to pitch movies and things but Mm -hmm. they seem to think that this one piece of video that they made did have a an actual impact on them, on the studio getting interested in their project. So worth checking out. I think it's great. And I think that also it's just nice to be reminded that like, you know, big wigs have to do this stuff. The act of explaining and selling and being explicit about what the thing is you're trying to make is really hard. And like, it's a visual medium and like people don't have a ton of time. So it's really nice to, to jump into that. I think we've talked about before, but for listeners who don't listen to every single word, our old pal Jim Cummings espouses a methodology when he's finished a screenplay on this line of thinking, basically, where he makes a podcast version of the entire screenplay. He reads every single character. He reads all of the stage description, and then he lays it in. He had a tweet about it just the other day that reminded me. He lays it all into premiere, and then he cuts it like he would a movie. He puts in some sound effects, not nothing too, too crazy, but, you know, like fleshes it out a little bit. And he uses it as a way to explain to potential investors or people who are curious or people who just are, you know, don't have a ton of time. Hey, this is what the movie's going to feel like. I have thought about it a lot and I think I'm going to do that. You're going to make but the podcast of your movie? The podcast of my movie. With you doing all the parts? I haven't decided that part yet. I certainly, I will be the narrator. Read all the stage direction so that in the inevitability that I have a rewrite or something it's easy for me to replace at least that part the thing that i have started thinking about is that oh that's the getting this thing into premiere and getting it into sound design means that then i can kind of start getting into really rough animatics and start kind of 
figuring out some of the more intricate pieces in greater detail, which is a thing that I've been really itching to do and also will inform the writing process. Basically, I get a better sense of pacing and how jokes are landing and all that stuff. So, you know, it's like doing a table read plus the earliest versions of animatics. And I got excited about that as like a way to kind of give myself fresh eyes on the project. Yeah, it's a good, it's an interesting piece of evidence of how your career as a commercial director is like seeping into your your methodology as a feature director. The whole point of doing, we just call them shorter projects, is that you get to iterate on your process more, right? So whether that's a short film or a, a, a commercial, just like seeing something through start to finish on that timeline just lets you hone your certain abilities greater. I have found... I felt a little atrophied in other ways. And so we can talk about that next. Do you want to jump into the topic I brought up or? We'll, we'll do your topic. First. Okay. okay. We'll do your topic. But before we talk about your topic, we should talk about patreon.com slash just shoot it pod, the place where you can get your very own just shoot it hat. We've been seeing selfies sent into us. It's very cool. Or, and I think you just sent off two brand new hats to, to listeners, Ezekiel and Mike. Thanks pals. Yeah. I talked about it in the intro. I'm shouting them out again, which is another thing. Maybe maybe an even greater incentive for people <laughs> to, to, to wear the hat and listen to the episode. Mm-hmm. You get a real rush. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks, Mike. Thanks, Ezekiel. Go to patreon.com slash just shoot a pod if you want to contribute to keep this show going. Yes, we appreciate it. Helps us pay our editor, helps us pay all our server fees and various things that we have to pay for. It really makes us feel like People are listening and care about the podcast and we should keep doing it because I'm telling you, if we don't get any more patrons, we're going to go NPR style here. Might have to stop. We might have to stop this at 325, 325 episodes. Yeah. If this pledge drive doesn't work. Well, without further ado, Oren. Yes. Lay it on me. You've got one of two topics for today. Yes. So this is a topic about what you call yourself as a director, as a filmmaker, as a screenwriter, the labels. It's something that I think you and I have not really struggled with recently, but everyone that decide makes a choice in their life that they're going to do this for a, a living struggles that struggles with this. And I know when I first moved to LA, it took me many years to feel comfortable with how to label myself. And I saw a tweet yesterday that, that brought this back to top of mind for me because It's something that seems like really, yeah, I guess I I have strong opinions about how one should refer to themselves and what they do, but seeing this tweet reminded me that maybe not everyone agrees with me. So I'm going to read the tweet real quick. The tweet was from someone named Eric Nasso, E-R-I-K-N-A-S-O. And Eric says, filmmaker is, is a title I think gets thrown out a bit too liberally. Heck, even cinematographer is overreaching. I struggle to label myself in my industry. I'm a DP for sure, but I don't do narrative, so the other two are way off. It also cracks me up who labels themselves as filmmakers, assuming that uh, Eric thinks that people that aren't really quote-unquote filmmakers are calling themselves filmmakers. And the only reason I even saw that tweet is because it was replied to by Valentina V, who is a filmmaker that we talk about. She also does these like awesome tutorials for aperture lighting, and she's a director and cinematographer and and does a million different things and has a really cool reel. Anyway, Valentina replied to Eric and she said, I agree. I struggle calling myself a filmmaker when I haven't made a feature and I'm not union, but I don't know whether either of those are even my goals anymore. So Valentina is both questioning how to define a, a, you know, a filmmaker and also how important being in the union or making a feature are Mm -hmm. to that definition and how important also like what, you want out of your career are to that definition. So I thought we'd start this topic off with Mm -hmm. a question for you, which is, let's say I'm at a party, you're at a party. You don't know why it's not a film industry party per se. Let's Mm -hmm. say you're at a, you know, a baby shower or something, Mm -hmm. family Mm -hmm. baby shower. And someone comes up and says, San Diego, you're in San Diego. Hey, Matt, nice to meet you. So what do you do? I would say, oh, hi, I'm a director. And then they would say, oh, cool. What do you direct? And I would say uh, comedy mostly. I've been making my living in a lot of commercials. Yeah, I would say commercials and, and comedy. Those would be the things that I would say. And then they would say, oh, have I 
anything have I, I would have seen. Anything that you made? And I would say, well, uh, have you ever watched College Humor? Then yes. I did some stuff for Ellen. And then I would like, if there was something that was running with any regularity, I would be like, have you, do you pay for the fancy version of Hulu or do you get the cheap free, uh, cheaper version of Hulu? If so, X, Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Right. These commercials. Yeah. Yeah. Do you watch a lot of basic cable and not skip the commercials? <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Right. So I think, I guess, my first challenge to you is I... I feel like non-film industry people would not say, oh, what kind of stuff, what do you direct? Okay, good point. Yeah, I sure, feel like sure. they'd be like, okay, well, let me ask you this. Now you're at a USC mixer mm-hmm. for film school mm-hmm. and you meet a new person, Jennifer, and Jennifer asks you, hey, so uh, Matt, what do you, what do you do? When you work in the industry, I'm assuming, what's, what do you do? I would say I'm a director. Yeah, I would say I'm a director. Yeah. Okay. And what kind of stuff do you direct? I feel like that's the person same, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. That's the same. Answer. And you would give the same answer. I, I think the, you and I are past the hurdle of like saying, oh, I'm a director or a writer director or whatever. Right. When did you, when you were at Comedy Central, did you say you were a director? No, no, it probably wasn't really until, until that was a, it was my only job. Until you quit to, to direct full time. Yeah. So you would say I'm in development. I'd say I work at Comedy Central. People don't know what development is. Yeah. I mean, if someone asks me like outside of the film industry, I say I, I work in film. If there's an awkward pause, I'll usually say I, I direct commercials mostly for the past few years, but I've done a couple movies, episodic stuff. I worked at Disney and I try to kind of fill out the a top level <laughs> resume Not, and they usually don't care about any of that stuff. You're saying we, we are in a, a mode where we're trying to guess what is going to be recognizable to the person we're talking to, right? Which is not really the question that that's being posed. I think this person is calling other people. Maybe, he, maybe he thinks that videographers aren't cinematographers, or that people who don't make their living as filmmakers are shouldn't call themselves filmmakers or whatever. I'm projecting a little bit, but I think that is the tone and vibe of this tweet. And I say, "Fuck you, dude." <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but, but what I think the, the, uh, the root of that anxiety 
comes from us all knowing people who are precocious and braggadocious and probably a little insecure who like to call themselves storytellers or filmmakers or cinematographers or whatever, whatever the kind of the notion of the moment is they're coming out of this place of insecurity and you're like, well, I don't want to be like that person. And so therefore I'm pushing against this vibe. And I, I'll say I probably was that person once upon a time that for pushed someone against else. That. Both sides of that coin is what I'm saying. I'm sure there was somebody in film school was like, ugh, that Enlo guy, gosh. Whatever he says he is, I don't want to be that. And I've certainly been the other way around where I've been like, ugh, God, what a poser. Right? <laughs> so right. I'm not saying that person can grow out of it and, 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 you know, fuck my younger self as well, you know. It's funny because I was I, I replied to Valentina. I said, you guys are all crazy. If you make films for a living or working towards mm-hmm. that, then you're a filmmaker. That's all there is to it. And then I defined mm-hmm. films as being shorts, features, commercials, TV, music, video, docs, industrials, branded content, tutorials, YouTube reviews, TikTok, like anything, C- LCG stuff. So I kind of came into this conversation mm-hmm. thinking like no one is ever going to judge you on what you're, you call yourself. You're the only one that's really judging you. However... Oh, that's not true. That's hearing, hearing what you just said. Someone told me they judged that person too. Right. If someone told me they were a storyteller, Mm -hmm. I would be like, (laughs) or like, I just want to move people. I want to make them laugh and cry. Like, Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. there's like a romance that bugs me (laughs) again. And this comes down to, to what I was saying before. If you've got the goods. Okay. Right. If Steven Spielberg wants to call himself a storyteller, sure, he can. Right. But know? he never would. Sure. Maybe, maybe not. But like I got Guillermo del Toro came to mind as like a, a romantic. Right. You know, he's really eloquent. He's like, you know, he would call himself something equally romantic. Right. right? And he would with a knowing smile, perhaps. Again, if you've got the goods. Yeah. He would like, say something like. like but I feel like he would say something like, I like to introduce people to new worlds and then destroy them. Yeah, sure. You know? Sure. Like, right, right. Exactly. Which if you met a dude at a party when you were 20 and like he was wearing a corduroy jacket and he said that to you, you would roll your eyes. Right. Maybe. Or maybe I think that's kind of cool. I don't know. And, well, and both are true. Right. It is worth rolling your eyes. And also, you know, I remember hearing just recently that P.T. Anderson, who was a young, rich kid. Right. Hate that type. You know, he made his his first film was a mockumentary about a porn star named Dirk Diggler. It was 30 minutes long. If I met that guy at a party, I might be like, oh, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm not sure he's going to be my one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. But lo and behold. Right. That's what happened. Right. Yeah. So what we're talking about is confidence and, and, and maybe projecting a little bit. I guess where I wanted this conversation, where I was aiming it towards is kind of this mm-hmm. like first rule of directing club is tell people you're a director mm-hmm. because to get to direct things, you need to team up with people and make things. Mm-hmm. And for them to consider you as a director, you need to tell them that you're a director. <laughs> That's one of the biggest struggles of new filmmakers is that they are too nervous or too shy or too insecure to say that to call themselves a director. Right. You're uh, telling p- people in a sense to manifest what they're trying to put out into the world. Yeah. You have if, to let it be known. Yes. And if, and to me, if you are a director, but you're also the DP and you're also the editor, mm-hmm. and you're also the writer and you're also doing the art, the production design, and you feel weird calling yourself a director because you think that sounds a little fancy. To me, that's where the filmmaker title comes in. And actually, mm-hmm. I've been saying filmmaker, I think, a little bit more than director mm-hmm. recently because um, I feel like it encompasses a little bit more of the writing side. And I do. I'm into cameras and I'm into visual effects and I'm into, mm-hmm. you know, the, like some of the peripheral things beyond the directing the previs, the animatics, all that stuff. So, and also I, I'm interested in working with other directors. Like to me, when you're like, I'm the director, it's like implying that there, you don't work with other directors mm-hmm. in a way. And so I, I kind of really like the word filmmaker. Cause it's like, Hey, I work in film and I'm part of the team that makes the film. Now, if I was a grip, you know, 
a hundred percent of the time, or if I was a costume designer, I probably would be more specific, but because I kind of float around in various aspects of the filmmaking process, you know, mostly directing, but some other things as well. I, I like, I like the title of filmmaker. I think it's good. And I think a student filmmaker is also a filmmaker. And I think mm -hmm. a kid in high school that makes videos on the weekends or even like films, weddings to make money, like, and can totally call themselves a filmmaker mm -hmm. as long as they're interested in, in filmmaking. Yeah. To me, like the, the bottom line is like, do your best to not elicit eye rolls and do your best to not roll your eyes at people. Yeah. Call yourself what you are. The one thing I guess that maybe kind of is the other side of this mm -hmm. coin is people that call themselves writers, but they never write, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is also a thing. Well, and that is a version of what you're describing with filmmaker or director too, right? Like there's a little bit of like, because there's, depending on who you're talking to, some implied status to those positions, to those jobs and some romance to it. You know, you have to do the work basically is what you're getting at. Yeah. Writing is, is special. I'm singling that out because you can do it without anyone else's help. Mm -hmm. And so... I feel like I was like, I'm a writer director for a while, but really like I spent 90% of my time, like trying to get people to stand in front of the camera and shoot things and edit things. And I wasn't spending the hours writing or, you know, I would go to the coffee shop and write a little bit, but like I did everything in my power to not, <laughs> not write. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that like, you know, from script notes, the, the screenwriting podcast, like if you just write, then you're a writer, but it does require that part of the, the writing. writing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Which is something yeah. you can literally do all by yourself with nobody else giving you permission to do. And it doesn't yeah. matter if you sold things or if even if anyone has read stuff of yours, but uh, you actually, I think, need to write. And then as a director, you either it's helpful if you're directing, but if you're not directing, you're working towards that. You're trying mm -hmm. to get projects off the ground, you're doing workshops, you're doing whatever. Well, let me ask a, an important question then. What would you say to a person who is at a party and who is, say, editing full time, that's their job. Mm -hmm. They really want to be directing and they're doing the, all the things they've been writing together with people. They're like getting their that feature made or whatever. So they're doing all the stuff that it takes, but they haven't made the thing that they're trying to make yet. And they don't want to misrepresent themselves, right? That, that's who my heart goes out to is people who are like, well, I'm... Right. We've had many of them on the show, like an Eric Kissack who just edited Pam and Tommy sure. and Veep and... Yeah. Let's pretend he hasn't done a bunch of network television since. But like, you, you don't want to be like, oh, I'm a director. And then when people say, oh, cool, what have you directed? Well, I edited a bunch of this stuff. Right. That, that's where it gets a little muddy for people. And so I would understand if people are like, well, I've been editing a ton, but I really want to direct. I'm working on this new thing. Yeah. But that's easier to, to clarify than saying I'm a director who is about to direct his first thing or her first thing or their first thing. Right. And I think you can say like, yeah, you know, my day job is I, I edit this show uh, or I mm -hmm. edit reels or web videos or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or I write and produce videos for Masterclass, mm -hmm. but I'm also a director on the side. To bring it full circle, I think there are people out there who are judgmental and perhaps tweeting about it who would then put that person down. Right. And so you're not, the people are trying to not open themselves up to that. Of like, so a, a jerk, and I maybe have been that, this person before, would be like, oh, so you're an editor. Everyone here wants to direct. Right. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think if you're just honest, like, hey, this is my yeah. day. Like, or I, I'm just teaching you what film school really is like. Yeah. Well, you know, it's weird. Like years <laughs> this ago. This is what you missed out on. <laughs> but a red solo cup in your hand and you're, that, that's film parties. Years ago, my wife and I were talking to a couple that we met at a party or something with a lot of, you know, film industry people. And, and they said, oh, you know, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I'm an actor. And my husband, he's, um, He's a visual effects artist, artist, and he directs too. And after the party, I was like, Kara, why did you tell them I was a visual effects artist? She's like, well, I don't know. You've been doing all this visual effects stuff. And I was like, I know, but now 
like they won't think of me as a director. They'll think of me mm -hmm. as like a visual effects artist. And I was really bothered at the time. I was like, I'm sorry. I'll, I won't say that anymore. I'll introduce you as a director. I won't even mention the visual effects. And well, in success, that person calls you up and says one of two things. Hey, Oren, can you help me out with this shot? I'd love your take on it. Or, hey, Oren, I would love notes on my latest project. That's why you want them to think of you as a director rather than a VFX artist, even though you're talented at both. Right. Well, so I have one last question on this topic and then we'll move on to the next topic. But it's like the multi hyphenate. When you do make a short, like you made a, mm -hmm. you know, like a gray one, you produced it, mm -hmm. you financed it. You, I had help producing it as well, though. Right, right. But you also produced, you wrote it, you were involved mm -hmm. in the titles. I wore more hats than just writer right. director. Yeah. When you are in that situation, do you go with the let's write all my credits in the titles and tell people or the best credit philosophy? Hard no. Absolutely not. The best is subjective because I wouldn't want to put down crew members whose jobs I did. The jobs that I want to be known for. So writer, director. That's it. Because yeah. I see so many people, even in re replying to this tweet that I saw and people trying to figure out what to label themselves uh, and a lot of them posted their websites and I would go to their website and it's like director, DP, editor, colorist. And I'm like, that's fine. But you're no one is you're not going to be hired for one of those jobs at the at higher levels. Just start a production company and be like, yeah, we do all of these things in house. There you go. That's how like if you want to get right. paid to do all those, even things. though you're the only person. Right. Exactly. You know, if you're a colorist and DP, I think that maybe is okay but producers tricky because like we need more producers than we do writer directors it's a way for you to tell people what you want them to think of you for yeah that's it i guess I, my that's just it. my advice and because we see a lot of this as podcast hosts people send us their stuff a lot is the less credits you can give yourself the better um and if you do give yourself multiple credits they should really be different from each other like like i think writer director and composer is like interesting that's okay you know that's okay yeah and if you're acting in it obviously you know you're i i would put my name like separately i i wouldn't put starring mm -hmm. written directed mm -hmm. and edited by oren kaplan you know yeah honestly just leave editing out yeah. unless you're really looking for editing work no, no one's gonna be like wait who edited that no one edited it Part of your job as the director is to be involved in every one of those All of the departments. Stuff, yeah. So you don't need yeah. to give yourself those things. You know, if there's no DP credit, then we'll probably figure out that the director yeah, we, shot this themselves. Out. Yeah. So anyhow, just a, a slight piece of advice to the newer people. <laughs> as few credits as you can give yourself. I think that if you're striving for being just a director, writer, director, just a DP the, the fewer the credits, the better. Well, Enlo, let's hop into the, this next topic. Yeah. So I'd mentioned a little bit before about how short form projects tend to help you with all, all sorts of stuff, right? Prep, post, all of that. But the thing that you get to do a little bit less on is directing actors. I put up a scene last week from my feature in this workshop that I've mentioned already. And just to, just to clarify, what do you mean by put up a scene? Great. It's a good question. So basically, I pulled a scene from the feature that I thought would work well for workshop purposes, didn't have a ton of special effects, had the right number of characters, and then I reached out to a handful of actors who I love and trust. This is worth pointing out. The people that I called are all really gifted they're not necessarily exactly who one would cast for these roles i'm casting them for their intelligence and their thoughtfulness and their thoroughness and their craft rather than casting them as i would in the film basically right, right? like the like physical characteristics don't really come into play at all but beyond that i don't have a ton of time and they don't have a ton of time to like work the material and do they read the entire script or do they only read the I send them scenes? the lookbook. Mm. I send them a lookbook, which has been unanimously appreciated and I think is a tool. You know, we talk about these tools as, as pitch materials, but I find that I'm building them for many, many different reasons. And like the main thing is to get someone tuned in very quickly. Right. You want them to um, get the tone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I basically say every time I'm bringing a new person in, I want you to read our scene. 
If you're curious, I've attached the screenplay, but the lookbook is going to get you onboarded very quickly and will take you two minutes to skim through. Start with that. If you really want to keep going, you can feel free to read the screenplay, but no pressure. But that's the extent to our prep there. No one has had the chance to rehearse or anything. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's uh, kind of cold reads when you put it up. I mean, a cold read, I would call literally like no one, like people have read it five minutes before. Yeah. 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 So they've had a little bit of time. They've had as much time as one could accommodate or create for themselves. Right. So if they had the day off, maybe they spend the whole day working on it. More likely, these people are busy. They have lives and families and jobs and all that stuff. They're they're coming in pretty cold. But more importantly, they've never run it with me or any other actor. Right. And so uh, the first challenge is immediately getting everyone on the same page from an acting style and performance and tonal perspective. Right. So they know what it looks like visually. Maybe they pick up on some of the references I'm dropping. Maybe they don't. And maybe they're just in a different headspace. And I thought, oh, boy, that's an interesting thing to talk about. Right. Because it's relatively rare for us to do that sort of work. Most of the time, because of the casting process and because of the callback process and because we've probably had a good number of conversations with people, everybody's really pretty locked in by the time we're on set. And maybe that's due to prep or maybe that's just because like you cast the person who got it. Right. Quote unquote. You know what I mean? On a commercial, like you see all sorts of great actors. Some of them are right for the role. Some of them aren't. More frequently, you bring in people who are right. And it's really just, do you understand the joke I'm telling or the tone I'm trying to evoke? Right. And can you conjure it? Out of 150 people, you choose the 10 that seem the closest to what you imagined. Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, actors are trained to kind of stay consistent in that way. Do what you did in the audition. Right. Right. That's why you got selected, not because you're, quote unquote, a better actor or not, you know, Mm -hmm. which is a hard thing for actors to hear sometimes, I think. But that's the reality of the work that we've been doing. But uh, as a result, I felt a little this last time a little shook, you know, just a little shaky in like, oh, right. Like the fundamentals of getting people here. I've been taking this for granted for the last, I don't know, decade. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And everyone was doing good work, but they weren't all literally on the same page. And so I was like, dang, I don't have a bag of tricks for this, you know? Yeah. And so I'm curious if you were in that situation, if you've got one person who, and this is a hyperbolic, uh, hyperbolic sort of idea, but like if you were putting up a scene and one person was playing it really grounded and really naturalistic, which is typically what I like to do. But so another person was doing it a little bit more heightened, a little more manic, a little bit more cartoonish, perhaps, mm-hmm. which is maybe what I was thinking of, but hadn't really done a good job of articulating it to anyone. So you've got somebody who's really in the emotional truth of the moment. You've got someone who's really playing things for laughs. You know, well, what do you do? Yeah. What would you do in that situation? It's a great question. I actually had that situation when I w- did work at Disney. I did this se- like high school series and mm-hmm. I'm sure I talked about it. We had an awesome cast like Allison Brie was in it and all these cool actors. And it was about these five kids stuck in a room and they all had, it wasn't like sitcom acting. It was like really good acting, but it kind of reminded me of like, um, like a modern family style of acting where the turns were sharp. The jokes were mm-hmm. clear. Everyone's enunciating. No one's mumbling. There's a rhythm to the acting. And when you have five actors working like that, it feels great. Like these puzzle pieces are fitting in. And then we had part of the the storyline was that one of the girls in the high school room, her boyfriend sneaks in. They're all in like this detention room and sneaks in to try to help them break out. So we cast a new actor to be the boyfriend. And he he's actually a really good actor. He's really successful. He's on a bunch of like Netflix shows and things right now. But he came in with like a totally different energy. He was like a real Mm -hmm. like an indie film energy. He played Mm -hmm. things real. He talked quieter kind of slowed down the tempo so cool yeah but not what you're doing yeah really yeah. strong actor and you felt like emotional and things but you you know it'd be like line from mm-hmm. allison line from mm-hmm. jonah line like, from i Derek, don't know what then, do you guys think yeah and then he'd be like uh, well, well I don't, it's an know, interesting so question yeah uh yeah. <laughs> and it was like 
I was like, oh man, this guy's like from a different show than what we're shooting. And mm -hmm. I, at the time I really couldn't figure out how to fix it. And, and even you could feel the chemistry. You want to say something dumb and you're smart right. enough to know. Well, you want to say, can you match them? Hey, be funny. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Like, play it funny. Play it, you know, there's a lot of bad direction. That's where bad directing comes from, is that sort of desperation and, like, uh, those big, broad notes that you sometimes need to give. Yeah, and, and there is this, like, like exactly what you're saying. There's a sensitivity. Like, you can't just say, like, uh, Margaret, that was perfect. Michael, not my tempo. <laughs> you know, not yeah, what yeah, I'm looking yeah. for. Uh, so I think like in a situation like you're describing, where is, you have was two, that a whiplash re reference? Yeah, yes. Uh, or you have a symbol at this poor actor's head. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> where you have two actors and you really, even if I really like what one is doing and I don't like what the other one is doing, I, I would say probably something to the uh, effect of like, Hey, that was great. Let, let's try to, I feel like you guys are both have great takes on this but they're different. And so let's try to bring them closer to each other. Like Monica, I, I love how sharp that turn is. And, you know, I think there is mm -hmm. like a rhythm to the scene and Mike, maybe like, let's see, can you fit into this? And Mike, I loved how you walked over here. Like maybe this is good for the light. You know, I'll try to find something so that they feel like they're both contributing equally when really I like loved one person's performance and not the others because right. One of your jobs as a director is to keep the actors engaged and, mm -hmm you know, you can challenge them. You, like I've seen directors be like, I don't believe you guys, you know, that sucked. Like give me, do it again. And sure. I've seen that work before. It's definitely not my style at all. The like insult to directing. <sighs> yeah. Uh, that's more like the Fincher <laughs> style of directing. There, there is a thing. And I, I think that you are, and I are in the same school in that way of like really being conscious of the emotional state of an actor and trying to be respectful and all that. But yeah, I mean, you can call it respectful, but I call it like they're the people on camera. Like if they are yeah. not yeah. comfortable, unless that's what the scene calls for, then it's you're ruining your everything, the work. Whenever I would have a problem like this, I would bring it up to my wife, who's an experienced actor. And a coach, and, acting coach too. And action coach, yeah. So she's been on both sides of this. And she knows how, and a director, and she knows and how director, actors yeah. work. And she will always say, yeah, actors are tough. Tell them what you need. <laughs> right and in a way that like, she, like, she meant Damn. they have like a thick skin mm -hmm. oh interesting mm -hmm. that's like the opposite yeah. of how i think of actors exactly exactly and i think look she's a tougher actor she's got a wealth of technical and emotional experience you know she's been through the ringer plenty of times and so i think she's almost always like no actors get rejected all the time like just tell them just do it Right. But I guess what I would think is like actors are sensitive and vulnerable. Tell them what you need. You know, mm -hmm, <laughs> I would mm -hmm. have the right. same approach, but coming right. from a place of like, we don't want to set them up to fail. We want to set them up right. to succeed because right. but, they're humans. But they're adults is, is the point that I'm making for her. It's like, you know, they're, they're craftspeople. They understand things. So I am constantly trying to think of ways to be direct with my direction, but also still kind of coming from that place that we were talking about before, where you want to be thoughtful, you want to understand their emotional state, but also not underestimate them and their resilience or intelligence or any of that. So, right. Well, I think to me, like one thing, just to get super technical, like one thing that really sets the tone for a scene is pacing, you know, and mm -hmm. speed. And so sometimes if I feel like, <clears throat> If I feel like we're close, you know, I'll try to give it a little adjustment. Like, oh, maybe you can just speed through this little monologue, you know, because we really want to get to this word because that's an important word. <clears throat> um, and and if if I feel like they are technical, too, I'll be like, when you say this, that's when I'm going to like whip the camera over here and we're going to see this. Mm -hmm. I want I want your sentence to be like like a setup, you know, for a camera mm -hmm. move. And that's why it needs to come out with like some force. Um, and but I, I always talk about this on the show. I always try to learn what school of thought an actor is coming from, because I think that that could be a great direction for some people and a right, bad totally one. useless for, for others. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, or they like don't quite understand what you mean, and they're tr they're now you're like mm -hmm. forcing some weird performance that doesn't feel right. Right, exactly. True. Yeah, but, but it, that doesn't come from their character. Like there, there's no that's purely 
technical, which is the, the challenge is that we're, it's, this isn't theater. You need to hit your mark because of focus, right. focus and light and all this stuff. So whether and your the character clock is would do that or not. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. But so that, so if I feel like it's way off, sometimes I will do a little exercise where I'll be like, Hey, let's, let's just hold your sides and let's just read this as fast as possible with like no intonation mm-hmm. at all. And let's, let's work together to kind of find the beats that are turning the scene or something, you know? Um, but, but you know, it's hard when you're an hour behind and everyone's like, the sun's going down and you're like, okay, I'm going to take five minutes aside and the actors aside to do a, the scene in a way that is never going to be the way they do it on camera. It's hard as if type of directing, like, have you, you know, how, how would you do this? Because, and sometimes even I'll be like, there, there's something that feels like, like not real about like what you're doing. Like, let, let's find, let's mm-hmm. find the words that you would use. Let's find the way, like, have you been in a situation like this? Um, I know. And I know that that's different than what you're saying, which is more of like a tone. Sure. But, but I think boiling down to like, Hey, this isn't working and you can tell, and I can tell. So let's figure it out together is a respectful way to approach a problem. Certainly. One kind of fun trick that I've think I've done before to various levels of degrees of success is just give the actors an extra thing to do. Hey, you're washing the dishes, you know, you're mm-hmm. walking the dog together and your dog is like stops to poop and you have to pick up the dog poop while you're having this conversation, you know, like, yeah, what are the and details that you hit on the answer, right? You hit on the, it, it's all of those fundamentals. It's where are they emotionally? What's their moment before? How are they feeling about everyone else? All of that stuff is the artsy fartsy holistic way of getting to the type of performance that you're looking for. But that takes work and time in mm-hmm. a way that uh, I'd taken for granted, basically. And you can also throw in the like, like a Seth Rogen film, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think that's the thing that I, I don't know that I ever really nailed was figuring out like the, the shortcut version of like heightened and a little more this or that. And maybe I should have just said it. I don't know. I'll, I'll talk to the actors about it. Well, great, great and low, great topics. Thank you for uh, chatting yet again. Do you have a, a moment to endorse something unpaid? I do. Unpaid endorsements. So I'm going to double down on an endorsement mm-hmm. that I made a few weeks back. And that is for the Ultimate Ears Wonderboom 2, which is a Bluetooth speaker that I love. And I've been using it nonstop. It's waterproof. You can take it into the shower with you. It's got an outdoor mode for if you want to have music outside. It's awesome. Everyone loves Bluetooth speakers. It's no no revelation there. However, the mm-hmm. thing that's awesome about the Ultimate Ears Wonderboom 2 is that they pair really seamlessly with each other. So you can have two speakers, for instance, if you wanted to, say, watch a movie outdoors and you didn't want to crank up your speakers too loud so that you're annoying your neighbors late at night because it gets dark kind of late around here and so i've been doing that with my and are they like perfectly in sync time-wise perfectly in sync yeah so you don't hear like a little echo or anything like that nope no echo or anything yeah exactly very cool what you got kaplan you got two quick ones one if you live in uh, california and you drive a vehicle that needs gasoline i found out this week that Arco, <laughs> the cheapest gas station, for years it's it's always been the cheapest gas station. But the catch is you have to use a debit card or cash. I don't know if you know this, but they mm-hmm. just started taking credit cards. So, ooh la la, yeah, wow. If um that if you want a good deal on gasoline, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you want to pay, and you want to get your Amazon Prime points or whatever your Southwest <laughs> frequent flyer miles, uh. Give Arco a chance. I love their guests. Delicious. Um, and speaking of delicious, my tastes great. Let's you know, I did recommend a snack a few weeks ago. You when you were at my house, I even mm-hmm. forced you to taste it. I, I have a new snack that I bought. I told you about it. I was all out by the time you were at my house. But if you're looking for another great snack for you know you're writing, editing, doing something, and you need something to snack on. I love, love, love these, the wonderful chili roasted pistachios. Mm-hmm. So, you know, pistachios, they're, they're obviously like insanely expensive for no good reason. 
I, there's probably is a good reason. I think there's a yeah harvesting and um, uh, water consumption. There's a lot of good reasons why pistachios are expensive. Actually, but, well, it's yeah. like fourteen dollars for a bag for a snack bag, but uh, but the chili roasted ones are just so good. They're a little spicy, but they're pretty spicy. They're good, but though. they are so delicious. Uh, highly recommended. So so yeah, that's all I got. Awesome. Well, if you want to talk to us about your favorite flavor of roasted pistachios or any other trivial thing you can tweet us uh, at just shoot it pot across all social media and uh, i'm at mr madinlow and i'm at smitey pileg on twitter i'm at o kaplan on instagram and we would love to hear uh, your thoughts on any topic we've talked about our email address is just shoot it pot at gmail.com please email us rate us on itunes and if you want to thank our editor you can tweet at him too maybe he's at noah n-o-a-h bashore b-a-s-h-o-r-e no i at noah bashore on twitter and he edited this episode and the music you're listening to is from the free music archive and the artist jazar and we will catch you next time thanks everyone thanks everyone bye bye Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.